Are you ready for a wild and hilarious ride through world of crime? Then look no further because our podcast, Two Boxes of Wine and a Crime, is here. Join me, Tasha, and me, Trisha, two ex-cons who love wine, coke, and crime, as we unravel cold case murder cases drunk off our ass. Each episode, we invite you to grab a box of wine, as we use Google, humor, and of course, cocaine, to crack the toughest unsolved crimes drunk off our ass. <laughs> From small town homicides to 9-11, we have it all figured out. Or at least we think we do. <laughs> Listen as the mystery deepens, the laughter gets louder, and of course, cocaine, and the wine starts flowing drunk off our ass in our entertaining, illegal, an unforgettable podcast. So join me, Tasha, and me, Trisha, on a coke-fueled journey to serve justice with two boxes of wine and a crime. Available now on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe and tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for new episodes. Drunk off our ass. <laughs> the best bits, or whatever. Brace yourself for a major turn of events! We are releasing some Patreon Q&A episodes we did last summer, I believe. The world is holding its breath in anticipation! So here we are, cutting to ourselves from last summer, answering questions from Patreon. Enjoy! Round two! Hello, Patreon, and welcome to Minibits 28. This is Will here, and as always, I am joined by Kevin. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Grant. I'm Grant. Are you well? I'm good. I'm good. You're you're absolutely baked. Kevin is actually topless as we record this right now, wearing shades. I have pasties on though, covering my nipples. Oh, great! I'm, yeah. I'm so glad. Little pink um, pasties. What are pasties? They're um, pastries. Have you got pastries on your nipples? No, I have pastries on my ass. But pasties aren't they like um, nipple covers? Oh, okay. Oh, dancers will wear them, and uh, actors will wear them. In new scenes. Oh, I didn't know this. Oh, very good. I need yeah. a pair of these. Yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah. Very good. Would they wear them like in full, for full... Just on our nipples. Full frontals. So you can wear them down there as well. They do. But they, you end up with a... You end up with like a Ken doll front. Wow. Bump. Yeah. Um, well, no, that's that's a vision. I, um, I'm looking forward to the Barbie movie. That's all I'm saying. I wonder what that one's going to be like, actually. I have no idea. I think it's going to be like Enchanted. Do you remember Enchanted? The Disney princess thing where she's... Yeah, Amy, oh, yeah. Amy, Amy Adams. Adams is yeah. a Disney princess who gets blasted into the real world. Yeah. And she's sort of like a fish out of water. I think it's going to be something like that. That uh, that was a, a really pleasant film. A film that I actually saw being shot, as a matter of fact, in New York one time. By Pure oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there on location. I could see Timothy Spall and... What's his name? James Marsden. There you go, that guy. And uh, yeah, wow. I think that's a very, very good film. They're doing a sequel as well. Oh, I, I hope it's as good. I hope it's as good. Yeah, it was a very, very. Um, yeah, I like that film an awful lot. But we're not here to talk about Enchanted or pasties or uh, nude uh, front frontals. Uh, we are because we got so many Q and A questions from the Patreon the last time. There wasn't a hope in hell we could cover them all in one episode. So we said we're going to have to come back and do. S- another episode to try and cover as many of the questions that were outstanding but we got more questions on top of that isn't that right yeah so we have a bunch of questions here i've actually looked at the questions this time and given them a little bit more thought because the last time i thought i could wing it and then i was thinking actually i need to think about this and there wasn't time to think about things 
Mm-hmm. It's sometimes good to think about the answers before you let the answers escape I your know, mouth. but that's so much work, and I just don't want to do work. <laughs> well, come here. Shall we do this to a timer and just basically go for as long as the timer tells us? Okay. Yeah. Right. I've got 30 minutes here from the last episode. Will I just hit that again? Let's do that again. Okay. The last time I read out a question from Don, and it was a fake question. Right. And Don's question was, what's your favorite color? And you answered it quite earnestly. Yeah. My favorite color is green. I may as well just say it. Ah, I like all shades of green. But we actually have a real question this time from Don. Right. So I thought I'd read this one out and see what you think. Okay. And it goes... Um, Hi lads, my question's below Will, out of everyone in the world That you could have done a podcast with Why Kevin? (laughs) I see there's a follow-up question to that Or a kind of uh, (laughs) Did he blackmail you? (laughs) The answer is Yes Yes He has photos I need help (laughs) Actually, genuinely Do you remember how the podcast started? I think the podcast began over a, a WhatsApp message chain before Christmas of 2000. It was in the mid, middle of lockdown, wasn't it? It was. It was at Christmas. Yeah. It was just we had a text chain going. Both of us were thinking about starting a podcast. Yes. And and basically we said, oh, I'd like to do a podcast. I'd like to do a podcast. And we said, well, could we possibly do it together? And it was like, yeah, well, why not? We could give it a go. But if we were to do it, what would we be about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they said, well, we know what we don't want it to be. And I think over the course of the Christmas, you had done a mock up of the of the the uh, the, the logo uh, not the logo but the actual title card mixed up all got got all the different letters from different uh, posters. Yeah. And um, had you even put together as uh, the actual team tune at that stage? I remember you did that really early on as well. Because I've been thinking about doing a podcast myself. Which actually ended up becoming your best bits, the questions that we ask each other on that. Because I was thinking about doing something like that. Right. So I just sort of pilfered a load of that stuff. Yeah. Reworked it. <laughs> well, do you have any questions yeah, from anyone else? I do. I have uh, a question from Kieran Hartness. And Kieran says, Kieran says, well, lads, my questions will probably be a bit boring compared to the others. But here's a few anyway. But I think, uh, Kieran, don't you shouldn't... Uh, you, you shouldn't discredit yourself. You is it Kieran or Kieran? I think I see. I don't see the father. If I got the father, I know to say Kieran, but I, I don't see the father, so I'm going okay. here. Um, uh, question number one, Kevin. Uh, with the likes of David Kep and Michael Mann writing books, would you ever consider doing one yourself? And or and a, a kind of a follow-on question to that is, could you see a way of adapting an unproduced script of yours into a book? So, have you ever thought about that? Well, I like the comparisons to David Kep and Michael Mann because we're so similar. Yeah. I did write a script once called Legend Has It, which I still hold close to my heart. It was um, an Irish mythology story. Um, it's the only project of mine where when I pitched it, I would make people cry. It's a great script. Not a great script yours, Kevin. Uh, very much influenced by Princess Bride, but using a lot of Irish mythology. And, uh, and it had a deeper level to it. A monster cause came along and sort of ended up treading some of the same water or, or treading some of the same ground. What's the... Mm, same ground, yeah. Covering covering yeah. some of the same ground, yeah. Covering some of the same ground. I write good. <laughs> and it couldn't get lift off. And I thought, I really like these characters. Again, it was an Irish story, so it was me writing 
with my own voice and not having to translate it into other characters sort of backgrounds which I have to do all the time um, and I wrote a few chapters and really really enjoyed it and then I started the podcast instead because I got to the end of doing a, a um, couple of deadlines at the same time and I didn't want to jump into something new and I thought I need to do something creative that isn't writing a script straight away mm-hmm. I thought well I can either adapt Legend Has it as a book uh, I got slightly dissuaded from that by my mate Lisa Canard who's a actual author and novelist and I thought well a podcast might be a bit more fun and less in my own head she said to she said to go with the podcast instead of doing the book no what she said is that you need to be a born novelist it needs to be something in you not a hobbyist novelist but something yeah. where it's like you're not doing this just to write one book you're doing it to have a, a, a career as an author because if you need a book deal they really won't sign authors that they think have one book in them they would want to back somebody who's got a career's worth of books in them so it'd be like a three book deal or whatever and in my head I was thinking well no I don't know if I might like it I just think I've got this one story I really want to get out into the world Mm -hmm. and I'd love to have a crack at it it's a lot of work but I was I was enjoying it I was getting to get dive deeper with those characters and that's the thing I do wonder about myself I like I, I, I think what Lisa's saying is is very true. There's certain, there's certain. You have to have a certain DNA, a certain compulsion. It's a vocation, want. just like it is for us with screenwriting. Exactly, exactly. That there's a compulsion for us to write films, the films we see in our head. I don't know if I have that compulsion to sit to write a novel. I don't have that same impulse, you know, to sit down and say, "Oh no, I want to write the novel. I want to write the film. I want to see write the film that will get made." Um, even though a lot of film scripts are uh, structurally very similar to short stories and a film script could be adapted to a short story like you know adapted into a treatment which is close to the short story version of the film but uh, doing treatments is painful so so painful to me anyway I refuse to do treatments I will talk my way out of them I don't think that they're creatively necessary better off doing a verbal pitch or a beat sheet something which tells you the gist of something mm-hmm. and then letting your creative juices flow when you're actually writing it but yeah I don't know if I've just been conditioned to be economical with my writing and with a novel you really have to just luxuriate and you know you can do a whole chapter about somebody just sitting in a car waiting for somebody to come out of a building yeah yeah anyway. I've done um, before COVID when I when I had more time but actually I probably have a little bit more time now I could actually do it as I've said it before and my, probably in my utter chat I do that free writing thing where I would write for 15 minutes and I used to do it every morning before I'd start writing I'd write for 15 minutes and so I extended that where I would um, I would write a random thing for 15 minutes that would be the start of a story with no just completely improvised and the following morning I'd come back and I'd write another 15 minutes onto that same story so I would do it over five mornings and by the end of the fifth morning I would have a short story and it was all well. Most of the time, it was crap, but it was every so often you get something where it was its own little thing. It was its own story. It was purely prose-led. It wasn't a script. It was very much a prose piece. The one thing that I have learned over the years is that I'm less worried about me not having anything in the well to draw upon. Uh, when you start out and you have an idea for something, this is off tangent to what. Kieran or Kieran is asking us Mm. but you start and and I see it with a lot of younger writers as well or newer writers you have an idea it's a good idea you you 
write the idea and then you feel incredibly protective of that idea because it feels like you've just miraculously fallen upon something and you don't know if it will happen again it's like going back and and playing the scratch cards again how likely is it that you're going to win again on the next lot of scratch cards but I don't think it's like that at all I think it's like doing what you're doing writing those few pages every day and, and discovering something I think it's just like that with everything. It's like the more you do it, the more you realize that you can keep doing it and it's yeah. never going to run out on you. Yeah. So your creativity knows no bones. It truly does not. You, all you have to do is start. All you have to do is just just start and something and if will it's emerge. crap, start something else. Who gives and a if shit? if it's crap, start something else. You're being yeah. creative and that's... It's all just about clearing the pipes. Most of the time, it's crap. And it's about accepting that. It's about, you know, re, you know... Um, Embracing the shit because and and finding the the, the diamond amongst the, the fecal matter. That's uh, my philosophy. We come onto the podcast. We have a week between finishing one episode and the next episode. We're usually on the fly, thinking, "Oh Christ, what are we going to do with this topic?" And then we'll get a mic, and something will come out of it, mm-hmm. and it'll end up with the creation of Podbot, or having Helen O'Hara fall down the chimney, or have you know Pierce be outside with civets making coffee for us yeah. just being silly and creative and stuff just keeps happening that we don't plan ahead and being creative is just um, it, it come naturally if you keep doing it exactly it's a muscle do you have another question for me Kevin I do and it's a follow on question from what Kieran just asked us Yeah, he says when Patrick asked what books would you like to adapt to screen you both went with fiction okay any non-fiction books you'd like to adapt if you had to do one okay Okay. I have one. Go on, you you give me yours while I, I have to juggle. I would go with Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which is the memoir of the guy who created Nike. Oh, shit. Right, go on. I don't know the story. Him going from just being a, a pretty average track athlete and not having the right sort of footwear in the 60s to be able to run to cobbling together a little bit of money to buy a franchise, to buy this these Japanese shoe wear, I, um, uh, concept shoes, okay. to then introducing them into the market, then getting involved in in a trade war with competitors, and turning the company into what it is today, which is this trillion dollar company, and uh, all the ups and downs that come with this, and the death of his son, and him almost going bankrupt, and it was just a, a really fucking great story really well told it's one of my favourite memoirs that I've read over the last like few years give me the shoe dog shoe dog I'm writing that down now here I am you'd love it well honestly it reminds me a lot of the the Schwarzenegger book which was great very inspiring yeah it's inspiring It, it just shows you it's no risk no reward oh man that's very cool the one that I always wanted to see on screen and I don't know if I'll ever get told was the Irish explorer Antarctic explorer Tom Crean he had a book called a book about him called Unsung Hero. I've always been, I've always craved seeing that story uh, depicted on screen. He was an amazing man. Just came from a farm in Kerry, and uh, became one of the greatest Antarctic explorers. Explorers uh, was a part of Scott's failed expedition and Shackleton's failed expedition, and was kind of like the linchpin and the and the. Um, did he die on one of his expeditions? Uh, Scott died in one of his expeditions. Crean, Crean, Crean lived, and right. Scott wouldn't have died if he wasn't. Uh, if he, I think, if he, he made a decision not to pick Crean 
in to, to come with him on the final leg of his journey. And he was classist and he didn't pick Crean because um, because Crean was Irish. Uh, but Crean was the strongest and probably the best man to get the, to, to help him do the final leg. And Scott picked the officers because it was only proper to, for the first man to reach the South Pole to all right. the British officers. And they weren't well. Some of them were was sick. Whereas if he had Crean, there was a chance he would have actually made it. He is Crean was a true hero. He uh, and he was a hero on that expedition, and then if, uh, years later with Shackleton, he went down uh, into the Antarctic again to do to try and uh, set another record, which is to cross the Antarctic. But Has he been a character in any of these sort of um, uh, live action? See, I've never seen. It. Yeah, I've never seen. I've never seen him feature as a major player. When in actual fact, he was the most important fact uh, a player and they're two set they're always told as two separate stories Scott's story and Shackleton's story and he was a connector he was on both these expeditions and a really important figure on both these expeditions uh, I saw a live show the one thing I saw was there was a one man show of um, Tom Crean's and it was one of the most thrilling experiences I've ever had in a theatre where this guy painted what I felt was a Hollywood epic journey uh, just by telling us the story of what happened, and um, and I went, wouldn't it be incredible to see this, these expeditions seen from the point of view of a carryman in the same way as this guy told us those stories that night? Yeah, Fastbender to play him. I always thought Fastbender was the man; it was the role he was born to play. So, um, but I don't think it'll ever happen. It's too expensive. Not Magneto. <laughs> Not Magneto. That's the one I'd like to see. I'd love to see Unsung Hero be made into a film someday. So that's cool. I need to, to seek that out. Uh, go on, hit me with another one. I'll hit you from another one, and I'm going to go from someone else, right? This is from uh, Dean Lines, right? Dean asks, what's the best script you ever read and why? Oh, that's really, really fucking hard. That's a tough question. That's a very tough that's question. That's like saying, what's the best film you've ever seen? Yeah. I only had, I just went... Because I actually don't read a huge amount of screenplays because it's that's a lot of it's a lot of work. It's kind. Of, I don't sit down for pleasure to read screenplays. I don't anymore. But I did for a long time. I used to just hoover them up. Christ. Um, I could give you an answer if you, if, uh, if this was to you, but I'll answer it myself if it gives you time to think about. It. You can go, but I, I the only one that's coming to my head is Aliens by James Cameron. Okay, right. I just remember that being a fucking riveting read. And um, I just loved that that read. When you see his material, when you read Cameron's stuff, and see the artwork he creates as well, he's just more and more... He's he's an incredibly impressive artist. In, in, he's I could polymath. answer this if it was like, what's the worst script you've ever read? <laughs> okay, no, I no, really no. Could. Let's I stay could, positive. <laughs> I could tell you it doesn't. Um, what's your one? I'm only going to go with one that I remember standing out to me at the time has been so original, and it was um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I remember reading that script before I saw the film. I never read that. Yeah, yeah. but I've read a few Kaufman scripts, and they are lush. And I was just... It, blew my mind the concepts he was throwing out onto the page I felt I had to be on my toes to keep up with him I felt this was a, a truly a, an original voice just screaming off the page at me and I don't think I'd seen any of his stuff at that stage I remember the Truman Show script being incredible and that feeling like it oh. was a whole new like the breakthrough had been made No, it feels like it's strange No, it feels like it's just a, a very good everyday kind of movie but back then when it was like 
the concept of somebody having their entire reality orchestrated and then being unaware about it and having that breakthrough and it being this sort of very meta story about where we are in the world but also just philosophical questions I just remember loving that read and it was ahead of its it ahead of its time because it was it was before reality TV show that's what struck. I mean so it felt so much more um, progressive I guess mm, it's an fantastic film like the, I still I, I still find I, I, I love that film As I'm going to go back it. to Kieran's questions because there's one that I have an answer for there's two that he asked that I really like right so just based on that question right did you answer that actually you didn't I did I said uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh, you Mind did. Yeah. I'm, I'm catching COVID off you uh, you have to write a sequel to an 80s or 90s film action film which one would you do Okay, so is, are you going to answer this or am I answering this? I'm going to answer it. You answer it, right, go on. I would do a sequel to Galaxy Quest. Oh, okay, do you have an idea in mind? Well, I would have the surviving members of the Protector um, gathered together for the funeral of Alan Rickman's character and their show has been cancelled for the second time and there's been a reboot cast announced and they're doing a recall show almost like the way you've got Chris Pine versus Shatner. So you've got this hot, sexy reboot cast who are now getting paid more than they ever were getting paid, who are getting to do all the sort of the the great side gigs that they didn't really get where they were like TV actors who couldn't do movies and they're doing movies. And um, they've got a new villain in their new reboot show. And this villain is like their Borg. And it's like an incredible villain. And it's not sort of the, the hokey villains that they had in the original Protector series, like on the, the, the TOS Star Trek series. And um, the, the surviving bad guy aliens from the first movie decide that they're going to beat the, um, the hero aliens from the first film at their own game. And they're going to kidnap the writers of the reboot series. Nice. Not the cast, but the writers who came up with all these ideas for these great schemes to beat the heroes and have them help them plot a retaliatory invasion against Earth <laughs> and the old dog cast Sigourney Weaver Tim Allen uh, Tony Shalhoub um, uh, oh, Alan Rickman no Alan Rickman's gone but what's his face um, uh, uh, Sam, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell they have to work with their younger contemporaries right sort of um, team up with the, the younger ones and uh, you get the, the arc of the new guy who's playing the younger Alan Rickman and has an entirely different impression of what Alan Rickman was like. And they're having to, to coach him on on uh, what his uh, predecessor was really like. All these sort of mini arcs and having them work together, the old dogs and the new team, to basically save the world against this this new, bigger, badder villain. This sounds like something that you've been stewing for quite some time. <laughs> I swear to God, it's not. But when the question came up, I thought so I was good. trying to go through everything and thinking, well, I want to do something that hasn't had a sequel already. And so yeah. many of them have. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite films is Galaxy Quest. And I thought, well, let's let's have real fun with this. Oh, great, great. I had a brief think about it, and I didn't put as much uh, thought into it as you have. But I thought of I I went through eighties movies and I went eighties action. I just scanned through the list, and so many of the good ones have had sequels. So that kind of like validated yeah. them in my mind. But then I hit one, and I went. Ah, oh, that's a, that was a cool concept for a film, and there's so much more that can be exploited, uh, explored using that concept, and it's the film Inner Space, 
And I think yeah. Inner Space was such a cool idea. And I thought, okay, right, okay, a sequel to Inner Space. Set they no. go into outer space. No, we're not going to outer <laughs> space. No, but that still would be fun. You could still be in outer space and inner space. But I thought, um, you remember in the inner space, <clears throat> this is all I have, is that in inner space, so you have people inside in people's bodies, right? But let's mm-hmm. say some bad guys, like decades ago, got the technology to miniaturize people and put them into people's bodies. And one of these people, these little pods that are inside in people's bodies, end up... Uh, they, they, they figure out how to control people. So let's say if you got one and if you injected the American president and you have, let's say, a Russian entity inside there, he can control the, the American president. Ooh, yeah. So, and what if they get... So the, they, the, the body is like a war zone. It's like a war zone, exactly. So what we have is basically an entire... And it takes uh, uh, several of them. It's not just one. And they have to, and this happened back in the 90s or the 80s. So we have an entire, an entire legion of Russian like pods inside and infested in one body for decades now. And uh, they've been slowly, you know, uh, trying to bring down America from the inside of this one politician. Do you remember in Inner Space, one of the big, um, unless I'm, unless I've imagined this, but wasn't there. Wasn't there a... Oh, it was a kiss. Oh, God. I'm they transferred to the... Yeah, he, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that they had sex and he ejaculated himself <laughs> into her body. And that's how he knew she was pregnant. That's not what happened. It was a kiss. Yeah, yeah, it oh, was a kiss. It was cut a that, kiss. Cut that, cut that, cut <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more from from, um, from Kieran, so then we can jump back right. around. Because uh, Kieran had some fucking great questions. He did, yeah. He said, you have to write a screenplay for a biopic on any musician or band. Who would you do? I'll give you my one straight away because it's so easy. Go on. And it would just be a fucking brilliantly fun movie. It would be Millie Vanilli. <laughs> Go on, right. Millie Vanilli. Isn't Millie Vanilli the guy who was miming the, the, the entire twins time? twins who were just oh, miming. They were, twi- they were just miming. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Why would that be so good? Because they, they ended, didn't they win a Grammy and they never actually sang on any of the records. They were yeah. just basically front men for background session singers. It was all a big scam. Yeah, and I think there's a great sort of a, a hilarious story about celebrity and and the yeah. bullshit of the music industry, and and I just want to know more about those two guys and, and yeah. what was going on and how they were being manipulated and all the sort of the funny scenes of them like having to get out on stage and mime. So would you take it from them being plucked from like however that process happened? You have to have like the engineers of this. So obviously it's like. A stu- studio executives made this happen. Made these guys okay, you, you know, or their managers or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I yeah. think they were manipulated, and I think that um, that it would be a fascinating story and a very fun one. So it's kind of like um, like a a, a, fraud, a a con job, like a fraud job, and like you know, it is. And I think that they were unwittingly part of that. That's a great. That's a great pick. I was trying to think. Because when, as soon as you said a band or an artist, I went, okay, to, well, first of all, to make a film, you need a story, a real life story that has drama to it. You need to you need to have some sort of drama that you know you can exploit. Queen, okay, right, we've had Queen, we've had Elton John, we've had Elvis. And I was like, okay, what other band or group of a lot of, we kind of, Beatles have been done. And then I just hit on one band where I said, oh, there's so much drama there. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac have so much yeah. drama. We have two. two that uh, would almost be a mini series, though, not a quite, movie. Quite po- well. It depends. I know it's probably better for a mini series, but I could. Uh, yeah, back in the day, you could have done a movie as well. Two, two guys, to, two girls. You'd have to open the movie 
with uh, Stevie Nicks backstage, bent over, while Mick Fleetwood is blowing cocaine up her ass with a straw. Please don't tell me that happened for real life. Please Apparently don't tell me. it did. She didn't want to snort cocaine because it would ruin her voice. Oh so my God. They would blow cocaine up her ass. Oh, you're joking me. Oh, Rock and roll. Oh, fucking hell. But the agony of of the, the of relationships. That. Yeah. Of that, yeah. <laughs> of their relationships. And they Ring were, of fire. They were writing breakup songs about each other. And then and singing them on them stage, and singing them on stage. That's and and it, and it spans decades. These these kind of tor- this tortured relationship that they all had with each other, um, and all of them are so fucking talented. And the music is great. The yeah. music is great. So um, I don't know what it would be, but I think I would definitely look at them and say, okay, how could I make this into some sort of dramatic? What would be the title of that? It would have to be after one of their songs. Rumors. I would go. Oh yeah. Make- yeah. You know, you'd have to then focus it about the making of that album. Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, you, you would find the most dram- pivotal, pivotal, dramatic point, and uh, maybe that was it. But yeah, so that one's. So will I? Uh, I'll go and ask. My you God, I now. wish we were in in the position of power to be able to greenlight stuff and go like, let's do that, let's do this. Yeah, I'm looking for. It. I want Galaxy Quest sequel. That's great. Um, oh, um, okay, John. Oh, John, thanks for those questions, Kieran. They were brilliant. They are great, John O'Callan. And he, he's a fun uh, fun intro. He says, Dear he who sings from the sea and he who grabs from the sea. <laughs> a, good, a good intro. John S. Do you have any recommendations or, or pointers uh, for any way to help understand a film or how to better, act, better actively watch a film? So do you have any way, is there any way, any suggestions, any pointers yeah. to actually figure out how to actively Put your watch phone a away. <laughs> Obviously, right. Um, I guess he means on how to read a film. Yeah. The only thing I would do, which if I'm looking at a film and I'm trying to be more active and engaged with the film, is I will make notes throughout the film. I will, and I will sometimes sit with... Not while you're watching like a film for, for enjoyment. No, not while I'm, no, not while I'm uh, in, enjoying the film. But I, but if I really want to actually try and pull a film apart and stuff like that, I will sit down and I will actually write the beats of the film out. What's happening? Okay, John's op- John opens the door. John pulls out a gun, and uh, and Jesus, it's John, what's wrong with you? No, <laughs> yeah, movie John do- does this, and uh, and I think the act of actually you know scribbling things down makes my brain. Uh, work to be more engaged with the film and start, you know, I start thinking about, I'm not passively watching the film, I'm actively watching the film. I think that's something I do when I'm trying to study a film. All stories are about characters. A film can be about a world or a character. Identify what type of story you're watching and lock in to either whether it's about the world or it's about the character and then ask yourself as you're watching it, what is the, what is the the thing that the main character wants, what's in their way, and what's stopping them from getting it. And that can be different things where it can be a personal flaw that they have in Uncut Gems, somebody who just cannot stop gambling. And just track the choices that the character makes and what the film is telling you about that person based on their choices. Because that's all that every movie is about. It's about the choices that a character makes to either reiterate what the writer's telling you or the filmmaker's telling you about the world or about that character. That's all I do anyway when I'm writing a film or writing a project. 
So uh, I think that's a very easy way to read a film. Who is it about? What do they want? And what's in their way? What's stopping them? Yeah. And finding out what the filmmakers want to say about this. What is their point of view on this on this story? And what they the can audience. often be wrong about that, though. Quite possibly, yeah. But I find it's always a good sign when you have competing... A good sign of a film when you have competing theories thesis and yeah, yeah and, and thesis for what's what 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 is what what the filmmakers intended to say and that is that is positive for the film because it means that the filmmakers you know irrespective of what they intend is to say are actually telling a story that has a broad that is there, there's a truth in that story that can be applied to a lot of things in the in the world that we know around us and um i think that's uh that's a, a positive sign for a film that if you if you can have competing thesis do you want to go with one more we've only got a few minutes left yeah okay uh well let me just have a quick scan here um uh let me go from one from somebody else uh ray bogdanovich mm-hmm. who's dean line's writing partner um what do you do if and when you get writer's block? That's a good question. I It's a great question. What I do is... I do a podcast. <laughs> Usually, when you've got writer's block, it's obviously there's a problem with the story, right? There's a problem that, you know, it mightn't be... And the problem mightn't be in that particular point in the story. It might be at the beginning of the story, but there's some problem somewhere. Yeah, it's not and, you that has a problem. It's the story it's, is creating a problem for you. Exactly. So there's a couple of different things I would do. I would, I try and figure out, find a way of changing my perspective on the actual story. I will go for a walk. Sometimes I will, I will actually abandon the actual story and say, right, I'm, I'm not going to sit at, at the um, computer and bang my head uh, on the keyboard on this one. I'm going to go for a walk. Is that how you write? Sometimes, yeah. And you'd be amazed with what will come out, you know. Which it, head do you bang? <laughs> the one where, um, the, <laughs> the one, one where, that. yeah, <laughs> the, the moneymaker. Um, sometimes when I'm on a walk, that will, um, un- uh, like you know, loosen the, loosen the rust or whatever it is. And then another suggestion you gave me, which really helped me recently, and this is a quit tip that you gave me, which is, you're, you're telling me all the time to quit, was I was stuck on one problem this past summer, uh, or maybe in springtime, and I was like going, oh, I don't know how to figure out the story problem. And you just, I didn't tell you what the story was. You just said to me, write the story backwards. And uh, I yeah started the ending started and the track end it backwards and tracked it backwards and as soon as I did that the 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 problems or what was important shone to the fore and what was mm-hmm. unnecessary just fell away and all of a sudden I was able to restructure my story and all of a sudden I fixed my story as a result of that so it's about changing for your perspective if you're if you're coming to a writer's block that means you're banging up against a brick wall you need to go around the wall stop approaching the wall from that angle you need to look at it from a different angle you have to think that your brain is hardwired to form patterns and we have patterns of thinking as well so when you it's, it's why there are typos in, in things that you read when they've not been proofread by somebody else. It's because we don't actually read what we've written. We're remembering what we intended when we wrote it. And it's the same thing with your mind, that when you're trying to think through a solution, your brain is just going to naturally go down the path of least resistance, which is the where you've already formed the synapses. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to interrupt it. And that can be like going for a walk, doing something manual, uh, stopping your brain from forming the same sort of links 
to get to the same solutions where you're just in this recursive thinking over and over again. Or, as I said, like, think of it from, from a different perspective. Think from from the end to the beginning. Yeah. And your brain then is having to work to, to remember what exactly goes after this, which is before it. Mm-hmm. And that just forms all these new synapses. And, yeah. God, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you're a guru, Kevin. You're a guru. Well, I, I genuinely, you gave me that tip a couple of months ago and it, it really helped me on a project. So, yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Anything else? You've got three seconds. Oh, three seconds. Kevin, what are you wearing? I'm not wearing anything. I can tell. Yeah. There we go. That was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that, Kevin. I enjoyed that. Uh, great questions. I am sapped of energy. Sapped of energy. So you are you're baked, Kevin. You're actually there's um you're you why why are you trying to base yourself with egg wash? That's just the grease on my skin. Alright. <laughs> You've this big paintbrush. <laughs> And he's just like he's just rubbing himself because I'm sitting in a, in a, a leather chair at the moment, and I stick to it, so I gotta get greased up so I can slide off it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. well, that was fun. There's still a load more questions there, but I think we tackled. I don't know how we got to, but they were very good questions. Very good questions. What do I have to recommend? I'm going to recommend Will's book about uh, cream, cream, Tom Crean on some Tom hero. Crean. I'm going to recommend that book, and Will, what are you going to recommend? I am going to recommend. I am going to because re- when Kevin's is the last book? book? Kevin's book. What was your book, Kevin? Shoe dog. Shoe dog. Right. Yeah, let's. Yeah. I'm, I am definitely going to. I miss. Um, I met his son actually. His son uh, runs like Leica. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he he looks like Sam Worthington. He's an incredibly handsome man. And, Sam uh, Worthington. Sam Worthington, the actor who was uh, Avatar. Oh, the Australian fella. Yeah, if they were standing side by side, uh, you might get mixed up. So, uh, Leica was set up uh, with Nike money. So, like, you know, that's... So all you have to do to be a, uh, a filmmaker in the world is if have If you want to be a success, have, have rich the, parents. Have rich parents. That's a key, I think, to the world. Your parents need to have their own Wikipedia page. There you go. And you, you will make it in the industry. Your kids will be fine. I don't have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> I spoke too soon. There you go. It's sort of pure. I, and a lot of these people write, make Wikipedia pages about themselves. And I'm just like going, no, I'm not fucking doing that. I'm not. I'm letting someone else make my Wikipedia page. I've got to do that. Keep on okay. Very good. That's another Q&A episode. Great questions. Thanks very much, everyone. I'm going to have a cool show. Another one. See ya. Good luck. Take care. The best bits. Or whatever. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Will and the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us 3 euro. Okay. You can't throw what? <laughs> oh my god! I I did a whole Irish theme. The best place we can have Van Willem talking deviantly. <laughs> okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing, and think I listen to that some other time. Fuck, <laughs> that'll do because it's bound to be funny. In his eyes, so yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. 
I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then of yeah. course I was delighted with that and people hated it. <laughs> it's not it was it was it wasn't easy on the ears in a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogus and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly what you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Know, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shit to the dynamic duo. Don't forget, no yours, three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I do, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, so I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster oh, very recently. It went, there's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. It's so life. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Of? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction... You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it, was, it felt like a Bill and Ted 
type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers. And I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, All I've seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire. But Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I had to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you it's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. (laughs) 